Welcome back to the Laravel Podcast Season 4. Today we're talking to Christoph Grumpel about the container, which is the glue that holds your entire Laravel app together, even if you don't know it. Stay tuned. All right, welcome back to Laravel Podcast Season 4, where every single episode is about a specific topic. And today we're talking about the container, which I think if you've been using Laravel for a while, you totally understand why this is a really important topic. But if you haven't, you might not understand what it is or how important it is, which is why I've invited my friend, my guest here today. So uh, my friend has a name, which I will do my best to not mangle, but I know I will a little bit. Christoph Rumpel. Rumpel. It's so whatever. If you're American, you probably say it is Rumpel. Um, he'll say it himself. And it'll actually be be correct. So he is a freelance programmer who does Laravel and PHP. He's got some video courses, books, but he also has something called Laravel Core Adventures, in which he dove into all of the core and the internals of how Laravel works, which is why I thought he'd be a really great fit for talking about the container, because he's really dug into how the glue is, what the glue is that's putting all of the pieces together in Laravel. And it's a free video series, so you can go check it out. We'll put it in the show notes and everything like that. But I'm going to stop talking, and I'm going to say, Christoph, can you say your name appropriately, but also when you meet somebody in the grocery store or whatever, it is during coronavirus COVID. How do you introduce yourself? How do you talk about what you do? Yeah. Hello, everybody. Thanks, Matt, for having me. So you were pretty close. It's Christoph Rumpel. Almost um, got Yeah, it. but everybody who's English speak speaking just says Rumpel, and I'm fine with that as well. So <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. And if I meet someone um, in a grocery store, I would probably say something like, I'm a programmer and I build websites. Mm -hmm. So that's the easy introduction. And then yeah, it gets sometimes awkward because people say, oh, yeah, can you do my website or yes. can you do my company website or personal website? And then I'm like, uh, yeah, I could. But actually, that's not what I normally do. So I wouldn't do that. And they are confused. Yeah, you yep. said you do websites. So why? Or you can't do my do website mine? and then it's yeah. difficult to explain. <laughs> yep. So if, if you talk to a programmer, how do you tell a programmer what you do if they understand the context a little better? Yeah, so I'm having my own one-man company, so that's what I tell them. I'm a freelancer. I do mostly PHP and Laravel. So I'm working now with Laravel since version 4, so quite a long time. And I heard you mentioning, I think it was in one of your talks or somewhere, that also you were following or Jeffrey, and he mentioned Laravel. And mm -hmm. yeah, it was the same for me back then. It was called NetTuts, the yep. blog, and he mentioned um, Laravel, and I was like, okay, what's that? And yeah, since then I'm using Laravel, so it's been quite a time. And yeah, that's what I tell people. I do PHP, I do Laravel, I do freelancing, consulting, and I also have my own products like the video course that you mentioned, Laravel Core Adventure. Um, I have to say it's, it's not completely free, so... Um, this Oops, was at bad. the beginning of this course. It changed a little bit. So there are a lot of videos which are now free and some you have to um, buy a pro plan and then you can see all of the videos. And I also wrote a book about chatbots, which is a little bit outdated. But yeah, try to have my own little products and yeah, to try to build stuff myself and sell that as well next to freelancing and consulting. Got and it. that's basically what I do. And yeah, basically just a backend developer working with PHP and Laravel. Got it. Um, and the reason I actually was thinking it was free is because you have this wonderful article called How I Built Laravel Core Adventures, which I recommend everybody to check out because it's a step-by-step walkthrough what it took to build a landing page and to brand Laravel Core Adventures and what the tech stack was and everything like that. And, and at that point, it was entirely free. But I, I would, if you all are interested at all, either building your own product or just seeing what goes into it, it's really, really, really fascinating. He's talking about using Canvas to build these animations and all the research he did. So I, I think it's a really, really wonderful. And again, I'll, I'll link that in the show notes as well. It's a wonderful article. So 
Um, yeah, thank you. I, I uh, often like to yeah blog about the things that I do because yeah um, I'm not like super smart and can't explain all the super cool things that nobody knows. But what I learned the last years that a lot of people are interested in real world things. So what people yeah. do, and even if it's just um, a little website that they build, a little product. Uh, um, also with my website, I have an article about how I build my website, which is just a level application which is just a blog but still there are a few things that yeah people are interested in how i convert maybe markdown files to yeah, uh -huh. to html and all those little things and if you pack that together and give people like real world examples and um, they really appreciate that and yeah for you maybe it doesn't sound like it's super interesting but it still is interesting to a lot of people even if you don't think so that's yeah that's why i always like to share what i do because yeah that's also how i learned a lot from other people yeah. And, and one of the things that I love is that I learn much from people on videos by watching it, but I can't always watch videos. And I love that you took the work to put this long form content in because there's also some stuff that it's it's a lot easier for me to discover even by skimming a post like this. Even if someone doesn't have time to read the whole thing, even by skimming, because you'll see little animations and go, wait, wait, what is that? What is that that's going on there? So I love that. Um, cool. All right. So at the beginning of these, I want to talk about who you are. Now I want to talk about your topic. This is well, probably one of the more complicated ones to do this, but if you were to describe Laravel's container, and just so everyone knows, we're talking about the inversion control container or the dependency injection container or the application container. We'll talk about all those in a second. But if you were to describe that thing to a five-year-old, how would you do it? Yeah, so of course I watch most of the other episodes mm -hmm. and I know of this part of the episode. So I was thinking about this now for weeks, yeah, because yeah, as you mentioned, the service container, for me, it was like one of the most difficult things about Laravel to understand. And it's yeah. quite complex and all those crazy words and terminology around it. And yeah, I thought, how could I yeah um, describe this to a five-year-old? And I'm very interested in what you say about this one. I think it, it's quite good. So <laughs> good, <laughs> let's see how it goes. So let's say little Matt, five-year-old, has a birthday party. Uh-huh. And you have some wishes for your birthday party. You want maybe a cake, you want some lemonade, you want balloons, you want a magician. And you have the party with your friends and your father is at home. And your father is, yeah, um, taking care of those things. And of course, he doesn't know all the details about what you really like because, yeah, your mother maybe knows a little bit more about you and she wrote some notes about it. So when your dad wants to get a magician, yeah, your mother wrote a note about yeah, Matt likes um, playing with cards, a magician who can do card tricks would be cool. And I know this one, so maybe you ask this one. Or maybe about the lemonade. Um, Matt really likes um, a lemonade and you, you should use 10 lemons and maybe a little bit of mint and not too much sugar because he doesn't like that or doesn't need that. And yeah, the mother wrote all the notes for the father to do these things. Mm -hmm. And now in this example, your father is the service container. So your father is taking your request from little Matt for your birthday party, and he can give you all the things that you want. But there's also your mother helping out what are all the little details that your father needs to do in order to give you the things that you need personalized for your use case. Uh -huh. And so you, um, your father would be the service container and your mother would be the service provider. Yeah, that's really interesting because I've never thought of the the container as a as a person in this scenario before. I always think of it as an inanimate object, and so I'm like thinking through that. So like I'm little Matt, you know, it's my birthday party, and I want to <laughs> ask for things. So I'm the consumer, I'm the the programmer, maybe writing you know some Laravel applications, and I reach up to the container and I say, "Hey, container, can I have my cake? Can I have my lemonade? Can I have my whatever?" And the container 
is is not actually the one that necessarily knows how to fulfill all of those things. It just has a tooling built in that is, you know, when asked for a thing, reach for the things that have taught me how to do that and then follow the instructions and then hand it back. Um, and then there are various things that have potentially taught, you know, the container, how do you fulfill that thing when time comes? I love that. I think so, because my brain always works in... I gave a talk about the container ages ago where I imagine it being like cubbies, like a, like yeah. a big storage shelf. And so, in, and similarly, if the, if instead of a dad, let's say it were a cubby where both the dad and the mom had contributed, right? The dad and the mom had both, the dad knows about certain things that the, the kid wants to do. The mom knows other things the kid wants to do. And maybe for some reason, a third party has to be the person throwing the party, right? Neither dad nor mom. Every single time that third party is going, oh, well, dad really knows that, you know, little Matt likes this and reaches into a cubby that happened to be filled by dad. Dad is one service provider. Mom's another service provider. Yeah, I think that's really cool. Man, nice work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have so, to think so, about it a little, little. And yeah. Yeah, I think it's cool because it gives you already some insights about the base concepts. You, you wish for some things. You have a wish list for things that you need. And then there's someone who gives this for you. And then there's also somewhere some information about how this thing that you need is built up or what are the tasks mm -hmm. that you need in order to give the right things back to the person who asks for it. Yeah. So that's fantastic. Let's try and translate that now into a little bit more technical of an answer. So if I am a Laravel programmer and I'm building my first app, what is the service container to me? Where do I actually kind of interact with it on my first time? Yeah. So that's a good one. So the service container is quite a complex topic because of a few reasons. So first we have the terminology, which is, yeah, could be quite difficult. You have the service provider, you have the service container, you have dependency injection container, you have um, inversion of control, um, mm -hmm. you have binding, resolving, and all these things are not so easy to understand, especially also if you're not speaking English, because um, when I learn English, the so binding and resolving are not things that I'm I yeah. learned just from speaking to people and for yeah. people who don't speak English, these words make it even a little bit more complex because, yeah, what, what do it even mean? Yeah. yeah. And this is why this yeah, topic um, is a little bit difficult to understand. But what I like to do is, that's also what I wrote about and also what I did in my course is I had problems understanding because of a few reasons, service container, because of the terminology, because a lot of things are in the back. You don't mm -hmm. know what's happening. The framework does a lot of the things behind what you see. And this is why I like to explain the service container more from the user view. Mm -hmm. So when does the user encounter the service container? When can the user who's coding, so I'm speaking yeah. about the one who's developing the programmer, can make use of the service container? And this helps the user better to understand what the container is for and then also better understands how the framework itself uses the container for all the things that the framework needs in order to, yeah, like you said, glue everything together. Mm -hmm. So I like to think of this example where you have a class, like an order class, who wants to maybe store an order or in the application that happens an order, and you also want to send out an email mm -hmm. now that the order is stored. So in your class, in your order class, you need to send out this email, and now we have, a, yeah, you can call it a dependency. As mentioned, dependency is also something that's very um, connected to the topic. 
And a dependency just means basically that we are using a different class or a different service or a different feature of your application of the framework that we want to use now in a different class. Mm -hmm. So now the mail, mailer is the example that we want to use is now the dependency of our order class. Okay. okay, now there are a few things how we can tackle this. So the easiest way is just to create a new instance of a mailer in our mm -hmm. order class. So let's say a new mailer, that's it, and then we right. can send an email. So this would work. No, um, no problems about this. But yeah, this could get a little bit more tricky because spinning up a new instance, creating a new instance is not always just new instance and that's it. Right. So maybe your dependency has different uh, dependencies as well. And then your dependency has dependencies. Yeah. And then maybe you need to load some configuration. You need to check this or that. And then spinning up this instance is like five or ten lines of code. And then, yep. then it gets a little bit complicated. So the first thing why we would want to change is this is because now in our order class, we have yeah, a little bit of a mess. We now have 10 lines of code regarding the mailer, which yeah. is not the responsibility of our order class. And this is one reason why we would want to change this. And um, also, if we use the mailer now in a different class, let's say in a controller or maybe in the user class, then we would write those 10 lines of code again. Yeah. And then, yeah, if you need to change something, you need to change at different places. And this is when we talk about separations of concerns because, yeah, we want to keep those knowledge. We don't want to have the knowledge about the mailer in our order class. Right. Just because it's much easier because when we go to the order class, we just want to know what the order does. Yeah. And we don't want to know about the mailer class because then we would go in a different class and check this out somewhere else. So separation of concerns, cleaning up is a reason why we would want to change this. And one way we can do this is by defining at one place how our mailer is set up. So all the things that we need in order to create a new instance of a mailer, we define it in just one place. And then inside our order, we would just um, get this instance. So this way we have, can make changes easily and we don't have this mess in our order. And this is something that the service container can help us. So what we can do is we can define at one place how our mailer is set up. And then inside our order class, we can make use of the container and just get back the mailer instance, already created instance that we can use immediately. Mm -hmm. And now this is much easier to understand in our order class what's happening is, and we don't care about the mailer. So that's something we don't need to see here. And the way we can do this, the way we can interact with the container, so there are a few ways we can do this. We can directly call the container. So this means inside an our order class, we can make use of the global app helper, for example. And then we um, have different methods on the application instance. That's what the app helper is returning. We can um, ask for a specific instance by a key. So that's also an interesting um, concept to understand. When we talk about the container, we, you can basically see it as an array with key and values. Key is just a shortcut on how to get to a value and the value contains all the information. So in our case, we would ask the container for the key, so we could call it like um, mailer. And then this is all that the container needs in order to create this instance. And then there's one place where we have defined how the mailer instance is created. And this is something that we will talk maybe a little bit later as well. But for now, I think it's interesting. We ask the container for something by the key and we get back this instance. Mm -hmm. So this is one way of how we could interact with a dependency in our order class. A different way we could do is by using um, dependency injection. 
So that's always, always interesting if we have different um, dependencies. So like before we're using the order and now the mailer would be a dependency of our order class. Then we're talking about a dependency and it makes sense to inject it via the constructor, for example, because then it's much more separated and we can define on how we pass this. But now if we talk about the container, there are a few places in Laravel where the container helps us with injecting through the service container. So for example, inside a controller, I can just type in the class and then the container checks in the background if it has some knowledge about this class and can give us back this instance. So now with the same example, for example, we're now in, our, in the order controller and we type in in the constructor, the mailer method or the mailer class. Then in the back, um, Laravel checks this, sees, okay, we want to use this mailer class here and checks if I have any information about it. And then it finds the place where we have defined those 10 lines of code, how to set it up, and then it would give us back the application instance. So that's very interesting to understand because we use this quite a lot in Laravel. We're type hinting a class. So uh, for example, in the constructor of our order controller, and normally you would pass this dependency yourself if we're just working with plain PHP classes. But since we don't create the controller class ourselves, we, we are not responsible or, or we can't just pass anything in there. But Laravel is smart enough to check this through um, reflection, which is a PHP feature. Okay, the user wants here the mailer class. Let me see if I have some information about this and then gives us back this instance. So this would be the second way of how we could interact with the service container in order to get the mailer for our order class. And this method that we were not talking about is also connected to auto-resolving, which is another topic, but maybe I'll give you some time for maybe some questions or some, or we'll stop because it gets a little bit complicated if we talk about all the things at once. Yeah, for sure. So that's a ton of really great information you threw together in there. And I'm going to kind of walk through a couple of the different pieces so we can make sure we kind of clarify what each of them are. So I love how much you get in there. So let's we're going to step back for just a second and talk about a few fundamental concepts for anybody who's not familiar. And if you don't feel like you were able to follow what just happened, we're going to work through these concepts and maybe go back and listen through that again because it'll make more sense. So uh, dependency injection is the idea that when you have uh, your class that depends on something else, instead of doing all the work like Christoph was talking about inside of your class to get that thing set up. Remember how he talked about the mailer might have four dependencies and each of those dependencies might have dependencies and some of those dependencies might need configuration items passed in and it could just get super overwhelming, right? So instead of doing that all in the, the order, you, you pass it in from the outside. So the order class defines to the outside world in order to exist, which is what the constructor is for. You know, if you, if you type hint something in your constructor. By that, we mean the constructor method has a parameter that needs to be passed to it, type hinted mailer. That means in order for an order class to even exist, you must give me a mailer. And so you're sending a message to the outside world. Without a mailer, you don't get an order, right? And so that's that's dependency injection is instead of newing something up inside of the class, you define that it must be passed in from the outside. And you could do dependency injection and still do all the hard work yourself of instantiating that thing right before you instantiate the order and then just pass it in. So dependency injection has nothing to do with the Laravel container at its core, except the Laravel container makes it easier. 
So simplest thing is you build this order class, your constructor has a type hinted parameter that is mailer. And so it says every single time you make an order, you make the mailer. And first thing you do in vanilla PHP world is you just create the mailer, configure it how you want, but then you have to do all that same work still in your controller or whatever, right? And then <laughs> you pass it in your order. So what Christoph was saying is, but there's certain ways in which we can set it up such that the, the container itself does that work for us of sniffing out what those type hinted parameters are for your constructor and saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to handle, take the responsibility for giving you the mailer or whatever. I'm going to learn the knowledge of how to inject that thing in for, in for you. And so you don't have to do it yourself. So the simplest way to look at it is that you can instantiate an order class yourself in such a way where you can ask the container to, to inject whatever it smells, you know, using reflection, whatever it smells in your constructor. Or you can also use an example, a, con a controller, just like Christoph said, because every controller you have, nobody ever goes new controller in their code, right? The And so that's a wonderful example of what happens when you type hint something and Laravel already, based on the way it's set up, takes the responsibility of sniffing out those type hints and injects it for you. And the cool thing is you could do that same thing with the order class if you wanted, but that's a little bit ahead of where we are right now. So just baseline, that's what independency injection is. And like Christoph said, whenever you got a dependency, you got to get it in there somehow. You're either going to new it up in line or you're going to pass it in from the outside. And the two ways to pass it in from the outside are one, dependency injection, like you said, or two, you can actually directly inline in your code, just say, hey, container, can you give me one of these? This is, which is where he was talking about the global app helper. And you just use the, the app helper to um, reference the thing. There's one other thing I wanted to clarify there, which is that he mentioned the fact that you could use this shortcut. You could say, hey, app, give me an instance of, you know, mailer, M-A-I-L-E-R. That's it. So that's a shortcut. But, but baseline, before you even learn about shortcuts in the container, the container itself inherently knows how to spin things up, most importantly, by their fully qualified class name. There's FQCN. And that is literally app slash services slash mailer colon colon class, right? You know, that's just the, the string app, app services mailer. So if you were to go to the container and just say, hey, give me one of these app slash services slash mailer, it knows to just try and go new that thing up. And if it can't new it up, we'll talk in a second about what, what we do in that circumstance. And so when he's talking about using that little shortcut, M-A-I-L-E-R, that's just an alias on top of the core functionality, which is just to map, you know, he's talking about keys and values, right? I love the idea of container as just a whole bunch. It's an array of keys and values. The key at its core is actually just the class name. And then the value is an instance of the class. And then there's all sorts of stuff we can do on top of that with aliases, right? Now, Technically, it's in, <laughs> inverted in the way Laravel sets up its own classes. But so if you're like an old head Laravel people person, yes, I understand. But for newcomers in general, the key is the class name. The value is an instance of the class. So I'm hoping that right there, if, if anybody was having any trouble following what he was saying, I think it's because not everybody understands how dependency injection works. So Christoph, you've given us a lot of really wonderful examples about what it looks like day to day to use it. So you mentioned the fact that building a class and doing constructor injection or using the app helper is one common way. We can type in things in the, con the controller method signatures and the container will reach in and take a look at it. I think maybe the next most appropriate thing to talk about would be what does it look like to teach the container how to resolve something? What things can it resolve without being taught and what things does it need to be taught and how do we teach it? Yeah, good point. I also wanted to mention again, as you said, if this already is a little bit too complex or difficult for you to follow, that's totally okay. It took me some years to understand most of those concepts. So just watch it again. We'll also mention some other resources mm -hmm. which you can go through and don't be afraid of that. 
So, okay, so how do we tell the container about how to create an instance like for the mailer that we mentioned before? So therefore we have service providers. And service provider is a class where we define how, yeah, how to create a specific instance or feature. And it's good to talk about here how Laravel itself is yeah, created. So Laravel provides a lot of features. We have mailing system, we have routing, we have authentication, and so on and so on. And Laravel has a provider for each of those features. And this just tells the container how to create those instances. And again, it's not as easy as just creating a new instance, new it up. If you check some of the service providers from Laravel itself, you will see, okay, there's a lot of things happening here because it gets quite complicated if you have yeah, dependencies and deal with configurations and stuff like that. Yeah, service provider is a class where you define how an instance is being created. So in a service provider, you have two methods, the register method and the boot method. And the register method is where you would define this. So in there, we would um, call the app instance that we have inside the service provider because it extends a base class. And here we have access to the application. And level the application is the same as the service container or the both are the application instance, you could say. And here we would say, okay, we want to bind something now to the container. And bind just means we are going to save this information now inside the container. So for our mailer example, we would say, okay, we want to bind it to a specific key. And then the second argument would be a closure. And this is just a function where you find all those lines that we were talking before, how to create this instance. And in this function's closure, we are going to return the instance. And now inside our service container, we have inside our array, we have now our key. And then on the other side, we have some information about the data. And one of the information is the closure that we have defined. So the next time we're asking the container for like the mailer, then the service container checks. Okay, yeah, I see I have this key. I have some information about it. I'm now going to call this closure and run the code inside. And this will give us back the instance that we needed. Yeah, that's great. So that's a perfect example for our mailer in which there was, and you, you said, let's talk about 10 to 15 lines of code to figure out how to set up a mailer because maybe the mailer has two dependencies and all that kind of stuff. So the, a lot of that would belong in the closure. But one of the interesting things I think about the container is, well, there's two interesting things. One of them is if you have something that doesn't have any dependencies, you don't have to even defined it, right? You don't have to bind it anywhere. You can just say, hey, container, give me an instance of this. And if you ever do that, it'll just go blah, blah, blah equals new class, right? And as, as long as the container can do that, just run new class, it'll just do it for you. So you can ask the container for things that you've never bound. When you're in a situation where you do need this kind of setup you're talking about, that's when you have to do it. But even then, let's imagine that we had those 10 or 15 lines of code that are defining the container how to instantiate a mailer. Well, probably at least half of those lines of code are not about how to define a mailer, but they're about how to define a logger, right? Maybe every single time it sends mail, it also wants to log that it sent the mail to your local logs. So half of your defining a mailer is injecting stuff in the mailer, but half of it is defining a logger. Well, you don't actually need to put that in that closure because you're going to make a separate closure somewhere else that says, if somebody asks for a logger, here's how to set up a logger, right? So if you've got one service provider that teaches the container, here's how to instantiate a logger. And it might take configuration items like what is the logger that the that we have set up for this app and what is its path that it needs to log to, whatever. You've now taught the container how to instantiate the logger class so that when you go and define to the, um, the container how to instantiate the mailer class, you don't have to do that work again. You just say, hey, 
when you're instantiating a mailer class, ask the container for a logger. And it knows, you know, it'll go, oh, well, somewhere else we've defined a closure about how to instantiate a logger. And it just throws it in there for you. And so that's why he was talking about you have an instance of the container available to you when you're binding things into the container. And so it's like the self-building thing where every time you teach the container how to resolve something, the next thing that you define is going to be simpler because it now just gets to say, well, oh, I don't know how to instantiate. Like the mailer can literally just say in its closure, I don't know how to instantiate a logger. Just go ask the container for it, <laughs> even though you're talking to the container. So you're building yeah, these right. smaller and smaller and simpler steps that just teach a little bit of it. So in the end, like you said, in your service provider, you've defined how to instantiate a mailer. So as a result, when we ask the service container for a mailer, just like you said, the, the service container doesn't know, but it goes and asks those notes. How, how is I supposed to make a mailer again? It's like the, the, you know, the parent who's around more giving notes to the parent who's around less, yeah. whichever, whichever parent that is. So that's a really good note there. I like that. Yeah, I also wanted to come back just for a minute to the where you said, okay, we can also ask the container for things that where the container doesn't have information about it. This uh, we are calling, I think it's called auto-wiring, auto-resolving, mm -hmm. so different words for that. But I think that's interesting to talk a little bit more about it. Yeah. Because we, ask, we can ask the container for a class for something that is not defined in the container. So there's no service provider for it. And now the service container checks, okay, I don't have information about it. What can I do with it? And then, as you said, the container tries to create this instance himself or herself or <laughs> however itself. you would say that. And itself, yeah. And this could be just, yeah, creating a new instance, just new and then the class. And maybe this works, then it would give us this back. But if we have some dependencies, then the container checks, okay, what are the dependencies? Can I create the dependencies myself? Mm -hmm. And now this would also work if the dependencies only have dependencies that the container can create. So yeah. your dependencies can have dependencies, can have dependencies all the way down. And it would still work as long as there are things that the container can create themselves. Yep. So if you have like an argument for um, a specific string or something that is not type hinted, then yeah, then the container doesn't know how to create this instance. And this is when it will throw an, uh, I think, a binding exception to tell mm -hmm. you, okay, this is not something that I can create myself. I need help with that. But it's pretty cool when you think about it. You ask the container for something and it tries to create it yourself. And yeah. this is pretty cool how this works. I really appreciate what you said there, because if you if you missed it, what I had said was if you try to new something up that doesn't have any dependencies or doesn't require anything else. Well, yeah, the container can can new it up. Uh, but what Christoph clarified is that's not entirely true. It also can new it up as long as it knows how to new up the depend its dependencies and the dependency of those dependencies. So that is either because they've been bound or because maybe all the dependencies of the class that you're trying to instantiate don't require any custom configuration or special, you know, things. So if basically if all of your dependencies of your class can be newed up just by doing new blah, 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 or maybe all the dependencies of the dependencies can newed up. If there's nothing down that whole kind of dependency tree that needs anything custom, you could literally just throw those classes in a brand new Laravel instance with no service providers whatsoever, ask the container for an instance into that thing. It's going to go the whole way down the dependency tree It knew each of them up, passed them into each other, and then you're good to go without doing any custom work. And that's auto-wiring like you're talking about. And there are some containers in the PHP world in the past that didn't do auto-wiring. So on day one, even if it's it could be smart enough to do that, they, they, they made it so you'd still have to bind them. Laravel is very intentional in saying, hey, look, if I can do the work, I'm not going to make you do the work. So service providers are <laughs> only about teaching the container how to do the things that it is completely incapable of doing because it's not inferable, right? It must be defined at some point. So that's a really great point there. Yeah, right. So 
One of the first things we usually go to after this point is to ask questions like, when's the last time you used this system? I think that I'd like for us to hold off on some of the more terminology and talk a little bit more practically still for a little bit. So we talked about the fact that intentionally, you know, resolving dependencies of custom PHP classes we've created is one common use case. We also talked about dependency injection in our controllers as another common use case. Are there other places where you think it's really helpful for us to understand that the container is operating on a day-to-day basis in our Laravel apps that may, might help us better take use of it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's also important to think of packages when we talk about the container. Okay. So every time you, we use a package, we need to provide those features from this package also in in the application. And mm-hmm. like every package has a service provider, every level of package, and it just tells the container about the things that we can use. And this could be um, defining some routes, defining some comments that we want to use in our application. And it's like an entry point for your application to a package. Mm-hmm. And every time you use a package or create a package, you will also need the service provider. And here you have, yeah, the place to add those functionalities that we then can use inside the application. So that's also one thing that I think is very good to understand because it also tells us about, again, how Laravel works itself. So Mm -hmm. basically Laravel itself, yeah, is built up of a lot of packages and all those packages have service providers as well. And then, yeah, what we didn't talk about it, all the Laravel service providers Mm -hmm. in order to boot up the framework. So Laravel loads all those service providers in order to have those features that the framework needs itself. It's very interesting. If you check out the indexed PHP file of the framework, so the main entry part of application, inside there we are creating the first um, application instance. Mm-hmm. So I think that's the third of um, the second line of code that's happening there is. And from there on, we have the service container and can use it. And very early here, we are also binding the base service providers in Laravel, which is the route service provider, the log service provider, and the event service provider. Mm -hmm. So these are three features in Laravel that the framework itself needs very early. So this is why these are the um, first service providers that are being loaded so that it can use the framework itself. And then later, I think it's at a kernel or somewhere, also all the rest of the service mm-hmm. providers are being loaded. And when you check out your config app.php file, here we have a place where all those service providers are listed. Yep. And you probably, if you have used packages before, you um, went to this file and added a service provider from the package there. We don't have to use this anymore because I think this now works automatically. But still, it's a good idea to see, okay, all those features level needs themselves. Level needs to load the service providers and then it can use them properly. Mm-hmm. Because, of course, we can just create a class or a package could create a class and we can easily use it everywhere because since of Composer, we know of all the classes that we can use, but there's much more information to creating such an instance. And this is why we have all those service providers. I love that note because so if you've ever worked with a package that is primarily targeted at uh, PHP in general, not primarily targeted at Laravel, you'll very often look at the readme and the readme will have instructions about how to set this up. And some things are very simple. The readme has got a couple steps, but often, especially if you're dealing with code where there's a lot of complexity going on there, um, whether it's because it's a super abstracted system, or maybe you're dealing with um, like an Amazon SDK where there's seven different classes that need to be injected to each other. The readme telling you how to use this thing for the first time can often have 10 to 15 to 20 lines of code of how to spin up this, you know, this package. And when you see that they also have an optional thing that they often call it a Laravel bridge, what they mean is 
if you're not using Laravel, somewhere in your code, you're probably going to need to write in this 20 to 25 lines of code. If you are using Laravel, the service provider that we've offered with this will run those 20 to 25 lines of code for you in a way that it automatically taps correctly in your configuration settings. So there's doing two things. One is that they're making it such that if there's configuration settings that they you know, know they'll need that they can pull out of the uh, Laravel configuration, then they do. But the second benefit is that you don't have to run those 20 to 25 lines of code every time you need it. They're taking the responsibility for you of defining the container of how to get an instance of their um, package. And so it's just like we're talking about here. You know, The third party packages are defining many lines of code once so that every time you need them, you don't have to define that code. Your mailer is defining many lines of code once so that when you ask for a mailer, you don't have to do it. And like you keep pointing out, even Laravel's components, all the Illuminate components are effectively, effectively extra extra packages outside of the Laravel core that, of course, Laravel brings them in. And there's a service provider somewhere defining many lines of code once <laughs> that then you don't have to run every time you need them. So I really appreciate you pointing that out. Thanks. Okay, now while you were talking, I also came up with two things that mm -hmm. I had in my mind regarding the service container or where we make use of the service container. And one thing I think we should talk about are also facades because they oh, yeah, of course. make heavily use of the service container. Yeah. So just a basic explanation of what facades are. I think most people already know now, but I think it's good to give you a little reminder. So facades are give you a nice syntax in order to use a class that um, you can get through a static interface. So for example, when we use like the route facade, it's route and colon colon, and then we have maybe a get or a post method, and then we provide some arguments. And when you take a look at this class, this route class, you will see that there is nothing in there. It's just a get facade accessor method, but there is no not this get method. And in the back, there are a lot of things that make this work. But what's interesting here is this get method or post method that we're using is actually part of a different class. And the facade is just a link to a different class that we're actually using, which has maybe a longer name or maybe needs some things to set up. And it's not that simple to use like the facade. And now when we call the facade, we have a simple syntax. We don't need to spin up any instances. We call the static get method and we get back what we want to achieve. But in the, in the back, we are calling a different instance. Mm -hmm. And the container comes here into play because this get facade accessor method of the facade itself tells the container where to look for this instance that we actually want to use. So this means for the route or the request facade, there is a different request class that we're actually using. And the container now takes a look at maybe the request key or any different other key. And there now it gets the instance back. And so we can make use of a feature of Laravel with a much yeah simpler or easy to read syntax. And yeah, people discuss facades a lot inside and outside of Laravel, and I don't want to go into that, but that's how facades actually make a lot of use of the service container and provides this functionality. Yeah, and I, I appreciate that. The facades, despite how magical they feel, are actually really, really simple. Each facade has a key mapped to it, and that key is one of those keys and values that you described earlier being in the container, right? Remember, every everything that we can instantiate out of the container is mapped to a key. And the first key it's mapped to is usually its, its class or its interface. But the second thing is often, especially with stuff that Laravel binds, they also give a shortcut key, which is usually just like a single, all lowercase word, like mailer or logger or something like that. And so all the facades do is just say, hey, when somebody calls a method on this facade, 
go get me an instance of something in the container with a particular key. And the, the facade class only defines that key, nothing else. And then instantiate something from that key. So give me an instance of it and then run that method on it. So if you were to run route colon colon git, it says, okay, well, I'm going to go to the route facade. I'm going to figure out what that key is. Oh, it's R-O-U-T-E-R. Great. I'm going to go to the application. I'm going to ask for an instance of the thing key R-O-U-T-E-R. I'm going to then run whatever method was called on this facade on that instance. So if you do route colon colon git, it's equivalent to you know, app, you know, the app global app helper asking it to give you an instance of router and then arrow and then git. It's just a shortcut to make it more expressive and convenient. But in the end, you're still just asking for an instance out of the container and then doing stuff on it. So I'm really, really, really glad that you brought that up because it's it's so much simpler than it seems. And yet it provides so much for us in in terms of like expressive and clean and readable and simple code. So great note there. Yeah. Thanks for summing this up again and to give your thoughts on that. And I think that's when you think about facades. In the end, it's pretty simple when you understood the concept and when you want to go through how this is working. But before that, yeah, people are talking a lot about it and throw in a lot of things, why they are bad and why you shouldn't use them and what's good and bad about that. And this makes it also a little bit of complex to understand, especially at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And with Laravel, it's cool because you can use all those things without really understanding them. So, mm -hmm. yeah route model binding another topic maybe where we use the container or dependency injection for a constructor where we get an instance back so all the things are very easy using a facade and that's pretty cool because this makes it as a beginner very easy to start but there comes a point when you need to understand okay how how are those working and why do i get this error while i was yeah. working at this and to connect all the things it's that then it's a good time to check it out a little bit more and this is why i think it's yeah important to yeah, also check out the code, how this is implemented. And yeah, it takes a little bit of time, especially with some magic level does. It's, yeah, it's not that easy to find this class that you're actually using, maybe. Mm -hmm. But once you have checked that, it clears everything up and it's like, oh, wow, okay, that's it. Yeah. Basically, it's just a different class we're using and that's okay. And while we're talking about facades, I think it's always interesting, also interesting, to talk about testing facades because that's also something that mm -hmm. the service container is pretty cool to use for. So um, with facades like the notification facade, the mail facade, we have also some testing features for those facades. And what we can do in our tests at the top, we can run a fake method, for example, on the notification facade. And now what we do is we're going to swap out the implementation of the notification instance that we're using. And now that you know how facades work, it's pretty cool because we just um, have a key and we connect it to a class. But since this class in the container, it's not the class, not the facade that we're using, we can easily change what this is connected mm -hmm. to. And now with this fake method, we can, in the back, Laravel is calling a different class, a dummy class, a fake class, which is not actually running this code. Mm -hmm. So when we use this notification fake method in our test, um, we don't have a real implementation of the notification system anymore. So we can send out um, accidentally any yeah. messages to our users. And this is also pretty cool because yeah, we can swap out implementations and this makes um, testing pretty cool. And this is also why I love to talk about this um, regarding facades because a lot of people 
say that it's hard to test, which is normally the case with the static methods. But if you know this and if you can swap out implementation, it's sometimes even easier using facades, especially when facades like the notification facade then provide some more methods like assert, um, mm -hmm. assert that a notification was sent to a specific user or assert it was not sent. And this is a pretty nice syntax and gives you very good readability now in your tests as well. So I think this is also what I love about the container. You can use it with facades and easily swap out what you want to give back uh, for tests. Yeah, and I think that's a great point for us to dig a little bit further into is the fact that the container makes testing and swapping in tests easier even when you're not dealing with the facades. So let's say that I have that mailer as a dependency of my order, like you were saying. But I don't want to send mail every single time I do an order. Could you talk a little bit about what it looks like to... Now, I guess that's probably not a good example because we can just change the config. Let's say I made a custom Slack notifier in, of my own volition. I'm not using the notification class. I literally wrote the PHP code myself. And every single time an order is sent, I also send a thing over to my company Slack. And I want to run some tests against fulfilling orders. But now I want to make it so that the class no longer sends the things. How do we now? Obviously, one way would be to, to put a conditional in the code that says, you know, if testing, then don't send this. But how do we use the container instead to make it so that that notification thing does not actually send it anymore? Yeah, so the one way that I would think of is similar to facades. We can now inside our test swap out what is binded to mm -hmm. the class that we use in our code. So if we in in our code, call the container for this Slack messaging system or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Then we can in our test, for example, bind something differently to the same key. And now when we go to our, um, to our, when the test goes to your code and tries to get um, this instance, it now it gets a different one. Yes. Which, which is so that's wonderful. Pretty cool because right? it's so easy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not only easy so that you, if you want to make like a dumb Slack mailer that just doesn't do anything, but you can also instead, if you want to get a little bit more complicated, make a mockery. And don't worry if you all are not familiar with mockery, but just if you wanted to, to have a version of the Slack class that was recreated by a tool called mockery that, that allows you to say, I want to assert that particular methods were called in the Slack class, you can make that instance using mockery, which we'll talk about in the testing. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about mockery in the testing one because I realized I already recorded it. So anyway, there's a thing called mockery <laughs> that makes it really easy for you to take a make a mock, a, a duplicate of your any of your classes and say, but instead of doing what it should do, I want you to allow it to say, I should have this method called on me. So for example, your Slack notifier might say, I should at some point during the span of this test have the notify method called on me. And then just like Christoph was talking about, instead of the container resolving your Slack notifier, just in that test, you say, hey, whenever anything in the span of this test asks for an instance of Slack notifier, instead give them this mocked version. So not only are you not sending notifications, but now you also are allowing yourself to assert that as a part of this order publishing process, this Slack notifier is getting told to having a message sent to it, basically saying send a notification. <laughs> so there's all these really cool things you can do where using the controller or using the container really advances your ability to do rich and robust and simple testing. Like I'd love, I love when, like you said, on day one, you don't even need to know how this thing works. But as you get more advanced, it turns out it's actually giving you 
the facility to do more advanced patterns and to do better programming practices that you didn't even know that you were building in your applications on day one. You just knew it was convenient to use facades or whatever. Turns out it's actually preparing you for your next steps. And I also really wanted to say, I really love that idea that you, you, you said, which is that it's on day one, you don't need to understand how the things work. But eventually you do need to learn, which I think everyone would agree with. But there's a point you made that I love, which is that one of the main times you need to learn how the things work is when something breaks. If something breaks, having the knowledge of how the underlying systems work is going to be just make a massive difference for you in the ability to understand what's broken and to debug it. And something that could just seem like this really overwhelming thing. You say, well, class not available or key not available. You're like, I don't know what that means. Well, if you understand how facades work, then you go, oh. I made a typo in the get, you know, the, the the accessor method or whatever else it ends up being. And then it's so, yeah, I love that. Thank you so much for that. Yeah, welcome. And yeah, I, um, with a framework like um, Velval or other frameworks, they're very complex applications and um, there are a lot of things happening in the back. And this is why the errors that you see are not immediately telling you, okay, it was this file, this line of code that you wrote. And yeah, that's something that we have to deal with because it's it's not so easy to understand for the framework wh why this error happened. It just mm -hmm. tells you that it happened. And the more you know about the framework, the better you are at putting the pieces together and understanding, ah, okay. And this is why mostly when we have an error, we Google it and then, okay, try this. And yeah. that's totally fine. But if you encounter this problem, maybe the fourth or the fifth time, maybe at this point, it's a good idea. It's okay, time. you don't Google it now. Now maybe you want to check out why this is happening. I love and that. I know this is, takes a lot of effort, time, and sometimes we just want to yeah, make our deadlines work and we can't do this all the times. But yeah, every once you should do this and give you some minutes to check this out and it will help you a lot and will give you a lot of bonus for the next time. Yeah, I love that. So we've we've talked about a lot about in, uh, dependency injection, which I think is the, the definitely the right place to talk about. So I think if anybody ever sees the phrase dependency injection container, it's going to make sense, right? We're, this is the main tool that we're using to do dependency injection. And I also think that if we talk about a service container, it kind of makes sense because you can think of, I mean, services is one of those overused words in programming, right? But each of these packages or whatever we're bringing in is a service, right? So there's the mailer service and the logger service. Can we talk really briefly? I know this is maybe a little bit like a little bit more advanced about inversion of control. Could you talk about what inversion of control means and why this container is a tool for inversion of control or IOC? Yeah, good point. So IOC is also something that was like, oh my God, what's that? I have yep. no idea. And then uh, <laughs> I read two articles and like, okay, I have, still have, I have no, no idea. idea still. Yeah, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't help. Yep. And I like to put this very basic. So, and I think that's fine to just know the basic of what it means. So when we talked before, when we had our order class and we created our tens lines of mailer instance mm -hmm. inside our order class, then all this information about how to create the order and then we also need to create the mailer is at the bottom of our code. So it's yeah. right at the end where we're going to use it. And yeah, as we mentioned, this is not that ideal because yeah, if we use it multiple times, then we need to change it at multiple places. And now our order has a lot of information about um, the mailer, which gives yeah. you a lot of overhead. The more code you have, the co more complex your architecture, you want to separate things and make it as easy as possible if you check out just a class or a method and you want to keep everything clean. And one way to do this would help you is inversion of control. 
which basically means we want to push up the knowledge to a layer at the top. Mm -hmm. So now at the top, we want to define, okay, if we want the mailer, give this back. And now at the end of our code, at the bottom, when we use it, we can just call it and we get the instance. And now our order class doesn't have control on how to create the um, mailer. Love that. So that's basically how I like to think of it. Yeah. And so like one example of that would be, let's say a, a couple of years back, one of the main transactional email providers went from being free to not being free. And I, it was MailChimp's, I can't remember what it was, but let's say that you had been using that transactional email provider. And every time you asked for a mailer, like Christoph was talking about, you would have the code to say, give me a new instance of that particular mailer. And here's the username and here's the password pulled out of the config or whatever. And so like, 10 places around your application, you had that control of which mailer are we using and how do I instantiate it? 10, 10 different places. And now you want to switch over to a new mailer, let's say Mailgun or something like that. Mandrill, that's what it was. So you want to move from Mandrill yeah. to Mailgun, right? And so now you have to go 10 places in your application and switch out from Mandrill to mail, Mailgun. And so when, when he was talking about the bottom, I think what he means the most, and I love that analogy of like a top and a bottom, the top of your code is the abstraction, the configuration, the, the service providers and the things that are like run once and then pulled multiple places. The bottom is the actual consuming code, things like controllers and views and stuff like that. So when you have the control over which mailer you're using, for example, at the bottom, then changing it has it can be a big pain because you've got to now do this global find and replace for all the places you were instantiating Mandrill and replace it with Mailgun. And what if you miss one because it was typed a little bit differently in another one and they were indented <laughs> differently? Whereas if at one point in your application, you say anytime somebody asks for a mailer, give them an instance of Mandrill configured like this and a service provider. And then all your consuming code just says, hey, give me a mailer you've inverted the control and the control over how to do that thing is now up at the top. And therefore switching from Mandrill to Mailgun is in one service provider, one time you change that code and then it's done forever. So Christoph, you, you explained it perfectly. I really, really appreciate that. So now we know why it's an IOC container, right? It facilitates that inversion of control because it's, we're binding it once with whatever the definition is and then never thinking about it ever again. Yeah, right. It's an IOC container because it helps you to think or make use of the IOC concept. And it's a de dependency injection container because it helps you with dependency injection. Love it. So I think that's good to know. One more thing I want to add here, which we haven't talked about, is interfaces. Yes. So that's yes. also interesting. And I think we should talk just briefly about it. So instead of binding to a specific key or class name, we can bind something to an interface. So let's say for this example, we have a mail service interface. And here we define yeah, the main methods that we need for our mail service, like to have um, to send something to, yeah, I don't know, um, whatever. And now that we can bind to an interface, we can tell Laravel, okay, the service container, when someone asks for this interface, so for example, inside our controller, inside the constructor, we're making use of type hinting and we're type hinting this interface. Now inside our container, we can define that someone asks for this interface. We want to get uh, give back a specific instance. Mm -hmm. And this is also what we can define. And this gets pretty powerful because now everywhere in our code, we don't have to type hint the MailChimp service, for mm -hmm. example. So we're just type hinting an interface, the mail service. And now, like you said, if we now need to change um, our mail service, we only need to go to this one service provider and change. When a user asks for the mail service interface, we don't want to give back the MailChimp implementation. We want to give back the whatever different service implementation. 
Yeah. And this gets really interesting because we don't, we then also have something with contextual binding where we say, if this class asks for this, mm -hmm. we give back this. If another class asks for the same thing, we want to give back something differently. Yeah, I love that. And if anybody's not familiar with interfaces in PHP, they're basically the ability to say, here's a contract between, you know, the, the people who are authoring these very similar PHP classes and the consumers that anything that quotes, you know, claims that it's implementing this contract will provide at least these methods basically, um, you know, shape this way. And so an interface allows you to say, you know, maybe we have 10 mailers, Mailgun, Mandrill, and all the other ones, but all of them implement the mailer, the, the Illuminate mailer contract, which says they have a send method and a whatever else method, right? And so like, yeah. like Christoph was saying, you can type hint that interface instead of the specific mailer. And then, you know, so that's one where by default, the container doesn't know what to do, right? If you just type in an interface, the container says, I don't know which instance of it you want or which implementation of it you want. So that's where in a service provider somewhere you say, well, every time somebody asks for this particular interface, give me MailChimp. So it's very similar to the example we gave before, where if that's how you're working on it, then you just say, okay, well, next time instead of MailChimp, you know, give me, or instead of Mandrill, give me uh, whatever the other one was, Mailgun. They'll start with M. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great, yeah. great, great point on that. Yeah, and as you said, normally we can't type in an interface because we can't provide an instance of an interface because you can't um, create an instance of an interface. Yep. It's just like you said, a contract where you say, okay, we have similar classes and they all should have um, the same method so that they are easy to use and easy to swap out. And that's why it's so cool to type in an interface. All right. So one of the sections I always try to cover on the podcast for these things is what are, what are ways where you commonly see people getting tripped up or confused or common challenges that you see people running into when it comes to the container? Good point. So as I mentioned before, I think the whole topic is quite complex. We have the terminology, which can be difficult. So I think it's it's in general difficult to here understand what the container does and how to use it. So this is when I say it's really important to read a lot of different articles or videos about it because everybody teaches it a little bit different and mm -hmm. it's personal to you what are the things that clicks for you. This is also why I wanted to provide it with my video and article about it, a different view to the ones that I watched before, which didn't help me. Yeah. So yeah, now that I think about, I think it was the first Laracon EU that I went. I think you were speaking there in Amsterdam about empathy. Oh yeah. My first Laracon EU. It was, yeah, one of my favorite talks. Like oh, a lot of people you. say so, that was really cool. And I think it was the same conference where Hannes van der Freken were talking about the service container. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, super cool because I don't understand it. And <laughs> I'm glad that there is a talk. Yeah. Um, 10 minutes into the talk, I was like, okay, I have no idea what he's talking about. <laughs> and it didn't help me at all. Yeah. And the talk wasn't bad. So it was really good, but um, I wasn't in the right situation for uh -huh. um, how he presented it. And I needed some different explanation. And this is why I think it's difficult. Uh, it's interesting and important to check out different resources especially regarding the service container because there are many ways and how to think of it and yeah. some clicks more to you than the other yeah so that's in general speaking about uh what are some common gotchas then as i said terminology it makes it a little bit easier uh, a little bit difficult and also that a lot of thing is hidden you don't see mm -hmm. the things that you use sometimes and yeah, especially when you type in something and you don't see how this is working. And yeah. this is a perfect example because a lot of people 
type hint somewhere else in your class or something. And now they wonder, okay, why don't I get an instance back? Like it works in a controller. Yeah. And I'm sure this happened to me as well, where I tried it in a different class and was like, okay, why doesn't this work? I think in models, it don't work. And it was like, okay, well, this is not working. I thought if I type in something, then I get back an instance back. Mm -hmm. But that's not how PHP works. It's just a feature that Laravel provides. Yeah. And so I think this is also when it's yeah, interesting to know why this is working and when this is working. Yeah. So that's a common gotcha that I ran into, and I'm sure a lot of people as well. I think that's the common gotchas that I have. It's difficult in general and you need to check out different resources and give yourself time to um, understand it because mm -hmm. it's not that easy. It's not the first time when you read something about it that it will click, but um, there will come a time when it will be, you're like, oh, okay, I see. That's cool. Yeah. And it was a little bit for me also with your um, talk about um, service container. Okay. Oh, because okay. the thing with the boxes is also something that helped me a lot. Keep it simple. There are boxes you can put things in and then you get it back out. And that's something that I can work with. And every yeah. brain works differently. So that's why yeah, different resources are very cool here for this project. Yeah. And I'm definitely going to keep thinking around this, this analogy that you came up with where, you know, you have the two parents and one parent knows what the kid wants and the <laughs> other parent is the one implementing. And so because the boxes, one of the downsides of the boxes idea that I came up with is that you're you're putting something in and taking something out. But in reality, it's more like you're teaching a relatively, you know what? <laughs> I think it's, it's, I think what I'm going to start thinking of is, is there's, there's like a, a robot and the robot is running the birthday party. And each of the parents have taught the robot a little bit about what this kid likes. And the robot has no ability to empathize with the kid or anything like that. The robot can only when asked for something, reach into its its memory banks. And so like the kid asks for a cake and it says, go into the memory banks for a cake or whatever. It says, oh, I remember the dad's the baker and the dad told me about how to make the chocolate cake exactly the right way, right? And then it reaches to its memory banks for toys and it's like, oh, the mom said that he was playing with Bakugan and so I'm gonna go whatever. That's, I, I, I love this because it involves the fact that it's not just a box that you're put, putting things in and taking out of, it's a, it's a system that you're teaching how to generate the thing that you need so this is one of my favorites that i've heard yeah, so really really good I work on that. that yeah that's even better with the robot and this way we also don't need the father who doesn't know too much about his kids <laughs> i mean i wasn't good you know i was just always always working on the narratives so yeah okay love it okay um, now we have the birthday party with the robot yeah i love it's it cool. I, I really i really 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 i really love that i think it's probably the most robust analogy i've heard yet so so really fantastic work on creating oh, that. Nice. Um, but but your your point is very good, which is that everybody learns a little bit different. And each of each of us is going to find something that clicks a little bit more uh, different with us. And there's also something you brought up, which is that sometimes we get surprised when we try to use dependency injection and it doesn't work. And one of the things you'll notice is that as you start getting used to dependency injection, you're more and more going to start using constructor dependency injection in your custom classes. When you write a PHP class, you're going to get more and more used to just when you want something, you put it in the constructor. And then later you might new it up, you know, literally just say blah, blah, blah equals new and then your new class and go, wait a minute, I have to build all these dependencies. I wasn't expecting that. So the simplest answer in that circumstance is to just instead of doing new whatever, you wrap it in the app global helper. And if you pass a class name to the app global helper, it's exactly the same as newing it up, except the, the container will take the responsibility for generating, resolving, and then injecting those dependencies for you. So 
granted, you want to be a little careful of using the app helper too often, only because sometimes the app helper introduces some of the same problems that we get by newing up our classes inline are also introduced by using the app helper inline. So anytime you find yourself using the app helper, the next question to ask is, could I dependency inject this into the thing I'm working in now, right? So there's steps, but the basic idea of use more dependency injection and know why it's not working sometimes, and then learn that even when it's not working, there's still always tools for you to get that same benefit of the automatic dependency injection that the container provides. You might just have to do an extra step if you're not in a controller or whatever else. So really, really, really good points there. You already mentioned a few, but are there any other articles or tutorials or anything like that on this topic? So you mentioned, and I'll, we'll link all these in the show notes. We'll put up um, Hannes' talk. We'll put up my talk. We'll put up uh, Core Adventures. And is there anything else that you think people should take a look at as a resource for learning about the container? Yeah, I'm definitely a fan of, of my video I did about it Yeah, because it clicked for me. And I also heard a lot of good feedback for people who where the common or the given resources didn't help. So I'm really glad that um, I could provide this for others. Yeah. So that's a blog article I wrote about it. I think it's called the best way to explain a service container. And there's also a video that I have in my course, which is for free. So um, these are two things. Then there's also your talk which I think is pretty good, we, which yes. we should mention. Then there's also some videos on Laracasts. Okay. Um, I'm not sure if they're free available, but I think they are. Okay. I think they are in Laravel from Cratch, and I think that's for free, right? I think so, yeah. It usually is. Yeah, so they have a few videos about um, service container and service providers. And the cool thing about it is um, Jeffrey creates a service container from scratch very easily. And I yeah. think this also helps to see Ah, okay, that's a basic um, implementation of a service container. Yeah. So this is also cool to check out. And I think there's another talk. Yeah, also at Laracon EU, I think it was last year by Kai. And it's also about the service container. Oh, cool. So we have a lot of good resources out there. So yeah, check them all out. There, There's one resource for everybody. And <laughs> yep. it's cool that a lot of people share their opinions and their thoughts about this topic. Yep. And we will link all that in the show notes for sure. So, but before we go, there's a fun topic I have to ask everybody. And for you, I'm super curious. There's a guitar hanging in the back. Can you tell me a little bit about your musicality? Yes, exactly. There's a guitar hanging behind you. They can't see it, but I can see it. Tell me about your relationship with music. Yeah, uh, that's funny. So um, when I was in school, I think it was 14 years old. I was totally into punk rock and I had a few... I'm friends, there were two, and yeah, we just started the band, the punk rock band nice. back then. And yeah, so I had no idea of how to play guitar. <laughs> I just liked the idea of creating a, a, start a band. A band. And it was like, okay, there's one guy, I think he can sing a little bit. So what are you going to do? And I was like, I have no idea. And then, okay, maybe you can try guitar as well. And okay. And then I took some lessons and now I was a guitar player. I love that. And yeah. Do you still it was play at really all? Really cool. I still play, but just a little bit. But um, the band we had um, over 10 years. Uh-huh. Is there, are there recordings online? Yeah, we have three albums yes. out there. And yeah, we played about 150 shows. And wow. we also went on little tours in Europe. So it was, we tried to make it professional, but yeah, it was yeah. really hard. It's hard. And at some point, yeah, we, we saw it, it didn't work out and you have to put so much time in and so difficult to yeah. you know, make money from it as well. Yeah. Especially coming from a small country like Austria. And yeah, at some point, I think after the third album, we said, okay, 
it seems like this was our last try. It was yeah. good. Um, we had our achievements, but it wasn't like, okay, we can live from that. Mm -hmm. And that was when I started um, looking more into programming and coding and oh, I started cool. studying at university. And yeah, this is how I came to programming. That's a really cool. I mean, it's not cool that it didn't work out, but I didn't. I had always assumed because I knew I, I knew you're a musician, but sometimes I ask these questions <laughs> just so everyone <laughs> else gets to get the benefit of the answer. But I didn't know that because I had assumed that they were always like you were doing both. So that's really interesting to hear. Well, I'll ask you for to, to DM me the um, the links later and we can put them on the show notes if you don't mind. Yeah, I can do that. We also have some very old funny videos. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we'll link it all up. I love that. Yeah, it was a different time back then um, creating music, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's fun kind of just reflecting on how much how much creativity there is uh, among programmers and you, you just got a lot of musicians, a lot of artists cuz what we're doing is inherently creative in a lot of ways. So, yeah, and I also want to mention here, um it was cool because of music I always had to deal with like designing band shirts, designing oh, yeah. a band website and stuff like this. We made some videos ourselves. So as a band, you do everything yourself at the yep. beginning. And this is how I came into all those topics, designing and a little bit of programming. And I still remember our MySpace site. Yes. So I'm not sure if people still know MySpace, but basically back then you had a MySpace page and there was all the information about the band. So everybody would go to MySpace to hear your songs, to see your photos, to know about your next concerts. Yeah. And there was this little input in for how you um create your styles for for the web myspace page yep and back then it was like hacking because we wrote um, a bunch of html and css and we put it into this one input yep. and this way we could change the whole look of the page yep. and it was like we put in this code and we had no idea what we were doing <laughs> we're just copying stuff and changing some numbers yeah and then we hope that we get this pretty cool Side. So this was really interesting. And yeah, it's funny because this is how I came into the things that I do now. Yeah, I love that. And that, I've actually think that I've had a couple other guests mention that MySpace was one of their first introductions to coding as well, because you knew what you wanted to look like and you know you wanted to look cooler and more customized than everybody else's. So everyone's trading little snippets and trying to tweak them and see if they can not break the whole thing. So that's awesome. Yeah, and you have this one big background image and then you had the video player mm -hmm. and then you try to provide a space inside this background image and you try Try to position oh, it right it, yeah. on the space so that it looks cool with a little frame or something like this. And <laughs> yep. back then we didn't have responsive sites or something like that. So yeah. it was just a big background image with putting some stuff on it. And yeah. Oh man, <laughs> you just gave crazy. me flashbacks of like, how big does your background image need to be? Oh, well, it only needs to be like a thousand pixels wide. And then people would get bigger screens and everyone was like, oh no, we need to oh make our, our things now? bigger now. Gosh, <laughs> I had not remembered that particular aspect of it for a long time. <laughs> All right. So because we are a little bit past time, as always, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I don't even need to say that anymore. <laughs> How do people follow you? We've talked about Laravel Core Adventures, but what's your Twitter? And are there any other places you wanted people to be interacting with you? Yeah, so I'm mainly on Twitter. Um, my Twitter handle is just my name, Christoph Rumpel, and one word together. Um, I tweet about what I do, about my blog posts, about um, giving talks, about consulting, freelancing, everything related PHP, Laravel, and my one-man business. So if you're interested in that, um, check out my Twitter handle. Then I have, of course, my blog, which is christoph-rumpel.com, where I have my blog posts. And as you mentioned, the video course, laravelcoreadventures.com, where 
yeah, I teach those concepts that I wanted to understand myself. And in order to do this, I created those videos. And yeah. now I know more about it and I can also share what I learned with this course. So I think yeah. that's also pretty cool and a win-win for me. I love it. Yes, yeah, it's amazing how much we can learn when we decide to teach, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Well, Christoph, this was an incredible amount of fun, especially with such a complicated topic to try and delve into each of them. And I loved being in a space where I think, like you mentioned, I think this is one where it is a little more difficult to learn and each person has a different perspective. So it's fun being able to bounce back and forth with you where each of us, even now having learned it and taught it before, both of us has a little bit different angle. And so hopefully between the two of us, we gave y'all a little bit of a broader opportunity to sometimes like Christoph's answer better, sometimes like my answer better, sometimes like what you get from both of them and just to, but know that this is not the end, right? Like we, we are only two perspectives and we only got as far as we could in 50 minutes. So, you know, go take a look at those other resources, everybody. It's really good stuff. Definitely check out Laravel Core Adventures and Christoph, thank you so much. It was a ton of fun hanging out with you today. I really appreciate you joining. Yeah. Thank you so much too for having me. And like you said, bouncing this topic um, back and forth between us, I think was really helpful for me as well. So yeah, thank you. And also thank you for having this series um, with this podcast oh, because yeah, I enjoy every episode and yeah, as mentioned, I'm doing level now for a long time, but still every episode, there are some new aspects yeah. that I learn and I like that. And I also like that you're doing or that your intention of doing this is also for beginners to yeah get some resources, hear people talking about this because yeah, it's important to yeah, teach the people who doesn't know too much about them and give them more resources to learn. Yeah. So thank you too. Thank you. I really appreciate that. Well, we'll see you all next time. I don't even remember what the topic's going to be, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And Christoph, I'll see you later. Yeah, see you. Thank you. Thank you.